Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast. I'm your host, Ben James. I'm joined by Mark Orders and Simon Thomas to discuss a very, very eventful weekend. Wales are triple crown champions. They completed that unlikely achievement with a 40-24 win over England on Saturday. Of course, that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the narratives to emerge from the weekend. Gents, um, we've had quieter weekends, haven't we? Oh, haven't we? Hey, listen, Ben, even, 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 Mark, even our football-loving boss, Paul Abandonato, has been converted into a rugby supporter, eulogising over one million page views for us yesterday, half of which presumably were produced by you, Mark, because I was off. And uh, the whole the whole of Wales, again, is a rugby nation. Always, Everyone's happy and the Grand Slam's on. Well, I will say that... Uh... Katie, uh, our colleague, she had 693,000 page views on her own yesterday. So that is that is startling. And, you know, sure it's down to the quality of her work, but it's also down, as uh, our great leader suggests, to the interest that a successful Six Nations campaign uh, ignites in Wales. And uh, there, there is big, big sort of interest, and rightfully so as well, because... Yeah, they, they've surprised us all in many ways. I mean, people were sort of writing them off um, pre-Six Nations, understandably so as well, after a shock in uh, 2020 with three wins in 10 games. But uh, they've uh, they really got it together and uh, thoroughly deserved their uh, their win over the weekend. I suppose as well as showing the, the interest it has, it's also indicative of just the amount of storylines to emerge, you know, you're going to struggle to find more contentious and controversial matches than than this one. Yeah, I see Simon's frozen there, so I will uh, <laughs> take, I'll take the lead on his behalf. Yeah, you're, you're you're right, Ben. And you know, the question I would say, uh, I would ask you: uh, Are England ready for to take? Uh, are England ready yet after that uh, penalty? You know, they, uh, they they took their time and, um, you know, we, we've had competing views on it. And uh, I, I watched it back, actually, yesterday. Uh, and, yeah, I, I could see that they, they would feel sort of harshly dealt with, if you like. But I suppose you've got to ask yourself as well, you know, what, how, long does it, how long does it take to say to your fellow players, right, no more penalties, lads. Let's get our act together. Uh, instead, you know, we had water carriers coming on the pitch. I'm surprised they didn't set up barbecue tables on the pitch <laughs> under the posts. And uh, and then, of course, you know, <laughs> the whistle the whistle blew. And absolute credit to Dan Bigger um, for not only exploring the issue of uh, when the game would restart, but having the skill. Um, to execute that and, and the awareness as well and Josh Adams and uh, yeah you know it's uh, so you can sort of uh, you you can see why England were a little bit disappointed but also you know they should have been more alive to what was going on as they should have been when Kieran Hardy scored that try as well Sorry for disappearing there my, uh, my internet connection is about as uh, stable and disciplined as the English uh, discipline <laughs> was uh, on the weekend so uh, yeah, hopefully I doesn't I don't get get pinged fourteen times like they were. But yeah, it's I caught the end of what Mark said there, and um, 
Listen, it was um, it was a fascinating game. So many subplots, so much going on, um, and obviously, you know, the contention and the controversy. Everybody's had a, had their say. I did a big piece with Nigel Owens, which had a big reaction. You know, Nigel gave his view that he, he felt neither of the first two tries should have stood. You know, people will debate it forever and a day. I've been debating the knock-on seemingly endlessly for the last thirty-six hours, whether it was or whether it wasn't. People have their own views, their own interpretations. But I do come back to the fact that it was 24-all. It was 24-all with, you know, going in, in the final quarter. England seemingly had the momentum. I don't think many Welsh fans probably expected a Welsh win at that point. But fair play to them. They got the job done. They kept their cool. They kept their nerve, whereas England lost their composure, gave away three crucial penalties. Hats off to Callum Sheedy after those two misses up in Merrifield. Nailed three challenging kicks. Got them in front and then... You know, the uh, the lovely symmetry with Corey Hill scoring as he did two years ago, both Corey and Josh Adams scoring to beat England at home. Um, and we all know what happened two years ago. So let's hope the same thing happens again this time. It's, it's interesting with the, the, the two sort of contentious tries. Is, it's such a mixed reaction. I've seen some people saying, well, you can debate the first one, but the second one's a clear knock-on. I've seen other people saying... The first one's not up for debate, shouldn't have been allowed. But the second one is is unclear. For for me, I think <laughs> the second one is a knock-on. I've seen people say it isn't, but, well, it is. It's it's come forward off his hand, and then it's gone backwards, but the initial movement is forward. And he's, never, he's never gained possession. It reminds me, do you remember there was an incident with Hadley Parks in the Pro 12, about three years ago, four years ago, against Benetton, where he juggles the ball, and then he flicks it backwards in an offload, but he never gains possession of the ball again, and it's given as, as a knock-on. So if that's a knock-on, uh, this is a knock-on. There's a couple of things here. right? The first one, that's not an issue of law. That is purely down to the personal judgment of the referee, Pascal Gauzet, about what was adequate time to give England to reset and what was fair. He gave them, I think it was 26 seconds, I think was the figure I've seen. He decided that was fair. Quick thinking by Wales, by Dan Bigger, Liam Williams, I think, was involved as well, and they took it. It's up to the referee. It's a judgment call. That's not contention of law. He's not. He's the arbiter. You have to go with it. The second one, now that is a matter of law. Now, the problem is you can pour over the wording of the law with a knock-on for hours. And I said, one of the problems with world rugby is that the, the, it's the language in these laws is so obtuse and so sort of unfriendly to, to read. And you have a situation where something happened on Saturday which isn't specified in the laws. You will not see a section, a a caveat or a clause which tells you what the rule is when following a knock-on forward, there is then a subsequent deflection backwards off another part of the body. It's not in the law. The law just says once there is a knock forward, if the f- player fails to catch the ball before it hits another player on the ground, it's a knock-on. But of course, because the bit about the deflection isn't in the law, people are interpreting w- the impact that that has in their different ways. Some people argue, and it's a fair argument, that they would say that the ball never left his body from one hand to another hand to his leg backwards. So does that mean that the overall movement is backwards? For me, I, I look at it, from the point where he first touched the ball to where he last touched the ball, Lewis Rees-Damit, the ball was further forward. To me, that's a knock-on. It then 
is not reclaimed by Lewis. It hits an England player. For me, looking at the wording of the law, the boxes are ticked to make it a knock-on. But as I say, because the law doesn't cover the specific example of what happened, you're going to get different theories and different viewpoints. And that's, in a way, the beauty of rugby, Mark, isn't it? Well, Gauthier thought that the ball didn't go forward, didn't he? That's well, it wasn't Gauthier, though, was It wasn't Gauthier. He actually said say. that as well. He actually said that, I think, to his... What PMO. he said, Gauthier, was on-field decision try, but we think there may be a knock-on. They then go to Alex Ruiz, who obviously has the best view, watches the replay. Gauthier comes back and says that the ball does not go forward. So the on-field officials were very much guided by, by what Ruiz said. Well, regardless, look, I mean, look look at the result in the Western Mail this morning. Um, you know, Wales have been on the wrong end of some uh, contentious decisions. Gareth Anscombe, 2018, there was the, the clock kick shambles in Italy in 2007. You had uh, JJ Williams and Max Boyce's blind Irish referee in 1974. And so they go on. I mean, luck tends to even itself out. Uh, over the years, um, and uh, it's happened, and uh, yeah, you know, Wales, I guess, will take all. As Alan Wynne Jones said, you know, take all the all all the good luck going, and uh, yeah, they're on for the triple crown now. Well, they're on for a potential Grand Slam now. What, what was interesting, I think, was. I think everyone was shocked that the second try was awarded, including the Welsh players. You could sort of see, you know, the the footage of Lewis Rissamit looking r- rather perplexed and a little bit sort of just surprised by it all. It, it did seem to affect Wales in in a way. I think they they seemed they went into the game with a game plan, which was to sort of choke England, put them under pressure, kick, go hard at the breakdown and, and let England be their own sort of worst enemies of discipline. When they went 17-6 up, they almost were a little bit surprised by it. And actually, in that 10 minutes afterwards, the game management slipped. And that's what let England back into the game. You know, I think some of our English colleagues probably called it a valiant comeback given the circumstances. But as much as Wales going ahead was the making of the referee, England coming back was perhaps the making of, of Wales. They were England, you know, for all that they had this indiscipline issue and for all that they sort of did make mistakes, they're a good team. They're still a very good team. And to be honest, when there was fluidity to the match, they looked very dangerous. When they spread it wide, you know, they got two very effective strike runners out wide in May and Watson. Watson took his try well. Youngs took his opportunist effort well. They stretched Wales and asked Wales questions. The problem was they undermined themselves with those 14 penalties, and five of them from Matoje. Penalties given away at crucial time. They found themselves in the situation that Wales have been this season where you undermine yourself at source. With Wales, it's been for a lot of the season prior to the last two years of the line-out. England have a fundamental issue with their discipline. And if you look at those last three penalties, which really determined the game, they, they were all fairly soft, Mark, weren't they? They, You know, I think there was um, Genge lying on the ball, you know, stay on your feet. There was Robson changing his direction. Um, there was another one down the other end. Coming so across a to- a toji. yeah. It was a toje offside at a mall. And then down the other end, there was also, um, I think it was Charlie Earls going across Alan Jones. Penalties marked that really achieved nothing. What were they? It's not as if they were, you know, oh, let's go for this. We desperately needed turnover. They were just a bit soft, weren't they? 
It was poor, to be honest. I thought that um, the lesson from 2019 was that the discipline side side tends to be the winning side as well. Well, back in 2019, Wales conceded only three penalties against England, which is incredible, really. And uh, they showed admirable discipline again. Uh, I mean, look, I mean, Itorche's got a real problem there. Integral to his game is putting pressure on people. But if he's going to... If he's going to fall the wrong side of the law, then he's he's going to end up being seen as a liability. And um, you can put uh, that right, you, though, you, can't you? Well, I, I guess he can, but do, will it will it strike at the heart of his game as do, well? If he's do not England, able to yeah. apply such pressure on players, do 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 England and, and does Eddie Jones really want him to put it right? Because the sound bites coming out of the weekend are that they. They want him to play right on the edge, and they think if he plays on the edge, he can dominate matches. And yet, there there seems to be so no sort of recognition from the England camp and from Jones that there will be times like on Saturday where he gets on the wrong side of referees, and and you can try dominate matches, but if you're giving away five penalties, you're not going to do it. And you have to sort of understand, and and you have to find sort of the biting point of the referee. And Wales did that really well, I think. You know, George North won a turnover penalty in the first two minutes, and it, it could have easily gone the other way. But they, 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 they found out where Gozer was with the breakdown, and it was in such a low risk, like sort of part of the field. Even if North had given away a penalty, you don't lose anything from from testing the waters. England never do that. They just, you know, it's just, it's just gung ho, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I suppose. They're, those are their issues, aren't they, Mark? You know, <laughs> we've we've sort of watched the game at the weekend we've seen the issues that England have and we've seen the, the positives from Wales and I suppose really moving forward the positive from Wales are the, are the biggest thing and if I look at those they're both individual and collective I feel I mean once again very very clinical in terms of points accrued from you know time spent in the opposition area be it tries or be it penalties um, very very efficient quick thinking Two of the tries, Dan Bigger's cross kick, beautifully executed. Kieran Hardy's um, tap and go, quick thinking again. You know, this is a team with ambition, willing to risk losing points through not taking kicks and go. Uh, not just via kicking to the corner, but other means, you know, for, not just kicking for lineouts, but by really going for it in an attacking sense. And you know, that you have to take your hat off to Stephen Jones and, and Piggyback for that. They've obviously instilled that belief and said, if you see it, back yourself, go for it. And, you know, we'll back you. And it's working. The line out as well, Mark, massive improvement. You, you're a big fan of Adam Beard. I think, you know, he's having a tremendous tournament. He's along with Ken Owens. They've really sorted that line out. I think, again, there was one occasion where they went long, got picked off, back to banker ball, but not for too long. Then mixed it up, middle line out, middle and long. I think they lost one out of 16 lineouts and stole one. Uh, it was a clean steal, one-handed by Adam Beard in front of Mark Wilson. <laughs> Important moment. And the other thing, not only are they winning lineup ball, but they're attaching on the end of it a really efficient lineout drive, a really good maul. And I think you have to take your hat off to Jonathan Humphreys here. You know, he's turned things around into, along with his forwards. And Wales and now are a very efficient forward unit. They were better at the line-out, they were better at the breakdown, they were really physical, stood up to England's big ball carriers and they struck in an effective way, you know, two quick thinking tries, you know, an English-Irish style try from Corey Hill, power, 
big man through small man and through Slade for the try, you know, which which is really good to see. Uh, and then obviously, you know, Liam Williams alert for the the try off the knock on or was it a knock on? So they're predators on the modern market. They're they're absolute predators. And forty points against England, you can't say more than that, can you? No, I think that the um, I think Ben that the continuity in selection has been key as well up front um, because that has undoubtedly uh, impacted on the lineup performance uh, because previously you, you you'd have. Tom, Dick, Harry, Elliot, whoever else, Ryan, whoever else throwing in. Then you'd have a, a different second row and, and the result was absolute chaos during the autumn. But since they, they, they've settled on a front five, it's no coincidence really that uh, the line-out started functioning again. And it's 27-2, I think, over the last two games with with a couple of steals thrown in as well. And that's been outstanding. And I think the line-out and the scrum as well, I think it's been important um, because you've got that set piece foundation, and the basics of Wales's game are are there now. They've got a good line out. They've got a decent scrum. Their discipline is good, and uh, the game management has been quite good. And um, and that's proved enough, really, against indisciplined opponents. With uh, Ireland having a man sent off recklessly, dare I say, and. Uh, Scotland a uh, little bit more unluckily, but still they were down to 14 men, and now England at the weekend, you know, with the uh, 14 penalty fiasco. So Wales really have uh, have sort of benefited from their uh, opponents' sort of indiscipline, and uh, and they're deserving uh, of the Six Nations status at the moment, Joe, leadership of the uh, championship. I suppose you mentioned um, sort of how they took the tries. The thing that got overlooked probably because of the, the controversy around the knock-on was how good the build-up for, for the Liam Williams try was. That came from really smart play, isolating English defenders out wide. You know, Dan Bigger hit a lovely pass, flat pass to Beard, who then gave another pass to Falatau to get him into the wide channels. It was, it was just really smart attacking play. And we're starting to see... Now that all the platforms are starting to be a little bit more solid, we're starting to see Pivak bring back some of the stuff that he tried to maybe throw in a little bit too quickly last year. You know, the offloads are starting to steadily increase. We're starting to see the the forwards he wanted in the wide channel stay there. Like, you know, a big thing in the weekend was just flooding the 15s channels with sort of the back three players and Falatau and Tiprick. And it's just showing how effective that is when we're starting to get quick ball and, and territory. Is Wales do have a lot of strike runners that they probably haven't always used as well as they could have in in the last couple of years, and now we're starting to see that. I think, especially you know, Tipperick and Falatau working in tandem. It's, it's yeah. I mean, the scrums is uh, an imp- you know is a solid thing as well. There were only actually eight scrums I think on the weekend. There weren't that many. Yeah, there was one penalty given against Wales and one free kick, but generally it's solid area did the job. Line out very efficient. So you've got that platform. And with that platform, opportunity to show what you can do. And I, I do think Falatau, you mentioned him there. I mean, he's just at the moment going through another peak period in his career. I mean, the footwork just made so much yardage. It shows that there's more than one way to skin a cat, isn't there? You know, you can do it the Billy Vunapola up and at them, smash dump truck running, or you can do it the Falatau way, which is with a bit of guile and dexterity, but with also power and athleticism. And, he was just tremendous. He really was. And I thought as well that um, 
the impact that Callum Sheedy made. I mean, it's almost going back 2019, Mark, isn't it, where you had the situation where Anscombe and Bigger dovetailed very effectively, one starting, the other coming on. And you've got that now. I mean, I mean, Dan's getting a 45, 49-minute shift, doing some very, very solid work, great opportunism for his try. And then on comes Sheedy, who brings something different. And the big plus of being, of course, that he's now shown that he's got the temperament for the, the goal kick in as well. Um, yeah, so lots and lots of pluses. Delighted to see um, Josh Adams get on the try. Should we talk before and didn't we that you know he's had a tough year in terms of um, after so, such a successful period, bit of barren time. Obviously, then had the break for um, the suspension. Scores a try and was was involved with the grubber through for Liam Williams' try. Did well, chased hard. One really good run in the second half. Delighted for him. To be honest. I don't know what you think, Mark. You'd, you'd struggle to pinpoint a bad performance by a Welsh player because you look at the bench. I thought Elliot D had his best game for Wales coming off the bench. He was exceptional. Corey Hill won three lineouts when he came on, scored a try. Both of them contributed. Everybody contributed, didn't they? They did, and they they did, and there was a, a great collective effort. And you know, you are seeing the, the likes of George North really enjoying his rugby and. And uh, yeah, I had a look at the uh, the game again, and uh, and Dan Bigger as well. You know, he's just his goal kicking, you know, just the extra two points, and didn't miss. Wales didn't miss at all. They didn't miss a goal kick, and Bigger did have some uh, decent moments, you know. And um, there were a few mistakes from Kieran Hardy, but come on, let's give him uh, a bit of a pat on the back, Crikey! This this was a guy making his first start in the Six Nations, and. Uh, uh, and I, what I liked about him, he, he was pretty bold. He was having a go, and uh, his, his try was was excellent. You know, sort of taking advantage of uh, England dozing, and uh, he was lively throughout. Uh, he will learn from his uh, 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 experience against Etoje. He won't find every side as a, as a player like uh, Etoje in it. But uh, I was impressed with him, and there's definitely a bit to be encouraged by there with him and when uh, Thomas Williams comes back um, you know there'll be good competition uh, at Scrum Arthur yeah sorry the irony is on Friday night in the first half Rhys Webb um, uh, (laughs) Rhys Webb produced one of the uh, the best performances by a Scrum Arthur this season but you know as I say uh, he's he's not in Pivock's favour at the moment so okay you know great effort by uh, Kieran Hardy What's the um, injury update on Hardy because obviously he came off holding the back of his leg are we thinking it was a dead leg or a hamstring issue or a muscle thing What what's the latest on that I, I don't heard. think anything's been released has it it did appear to be hamstring, but it's hard to sort of tell. He, he did pull up, didn't he? When when Sheedy put that grubber through. But um, speak, speaking about the bench and just the impact that the bench have had in the last two games, this is it's it's a position of relative strength and depth that Wales haven't always boasted. It, it tends to be that when you know in the past when Wales have emptied the bench, that's usually when things have started to go a little bit awry. And is that maybe vindication of how Pivak approached the autumn? Because he got got so much stick, didn't he, for the autumn? Uh, and yet he made it clear from the outset that this is how I'm doing the autumn. Woke up, seeding is sorted. I'm building depth. And he sacrificed results to an extent. But I think we're now starting to see that this is, you know, maybe a decision that was that was right in the long run. Well, look at the players that aren't involved. The ones that even weren't in the 23. You've got the likes of Jake Ball. You know, you've got McLeod who would have been in the squad. 
You got Ellis, Ellis Jenkins now back playing incredibly after two years out. You look, look at the Shane, centers. Who, Shane Lewis Hughes. Shane Lewis Hughes. You look at Jack Morgan outstanding again at the weekend for the Scarlets. You look at the centers who didn't get who weren't involved. No Johnny Williams, no Tompkins, no Owen Watkin. You look at the back three people like Owen Lane coming back to form. You know, you've got quality, quality players who aren't involved. Lee Halfpenny wasn't involved. There's real depth there. And there's a nice mix of innocence and experience out there. You've got a hardcore of the likes of Ken Owens, Thomas Francis, Alan jones Tipperick Faleto, bigger, really experienced players, Liam Williams, George North. And then sprinkled in with that, you've got new kids like Leon Brown, um, like Sheedy, like Hardy, you know, like Halla Hollow in terms of internationals. So it's a lovely mix, isn't there? Hey, you know, can you believe we're being so positive? My clock is ticking, Ben. So do you want to ask me anything else before I go away? Uh, I guess we'll finish off just one final question then, which is just um, what changes would you make, if any, for the Italy game? Obviously, momentum's so big. I would probably look to consider, first and foremost, the fitness and well-being of those players looking ahead to the France game. So that you can only make a judgment of within camp. The situation with Hardy, for example, Thomas Williams might be back in the mix. They might want to give him some game time in the scrum half role, either off the bench or starting. So he might come into it. The other thing you've got to bear in mind is, once again, the English-based players will go back to their clubs this weekend. So you could have a situation with Faletau and Francis, who are so important, might have to play for their clubs this week. There'd be a lot of rugby under their you know, under their belt, but then a lot of miles on the clock. They might be people you'd want to give a break to out in Rome. So you've got to take all of these things into the equation. You've also got to not take it lightly because, you know, it's their last home game in Italy. They'll be up for presenting a much better challenge. So you want a very combative side. So I think you mix and match it. You look to essentially give most of the 23 who have been involved in the game and then consider who really needs a rest. There we go. Uh, Mark, or, yeah. yeah, well, I, I would, I would sort of uh, endorse a lot of what Simon said there. Uh, I would be a little bit careful as well, mind, because if, for instance, you give uh, Alwyn Jones, as you had mentioned, that maybe it'd be a good opportunity to give him uh, a weekend off. I, w- I wouldn't do that because he, he would then have a three-week run-in without a game, heading into a potential Grand Slam game against. Uh, France, so I, I would be a little bit careful uh, there. Um, maybe, at, maybe there could be a case for suggesting uh, a change at twelve. Um, Jonathan Davis is still working his way up the gears, but I think that will depend on whether Wayne Pivak sees Jonathan as being his inside centre for the France game. If he does, he will play him in Italy. Um, maybe, given that Dan Bigger uh, might be playing for Northampton next week, maybe, uh, you know, given that he, he, he's 31 now, um, maybe Callum Sheedy would be able to accommodate the extra game with Bristol next week and maybe there could be a case for saying Callum Sheedy should start. Um, not necessarily a reflection on Dan Bigger, but it would be a bit of a reward as well for Sheedy's efforts. Um, with tight head prop there, Thomas Francis. Uh, I would be a little bit careful there because he uh, he is a good scrummager, Thomas Francis. And uh, when Wales have messed about with their starting front row in the past, in the autumn, it just didn't work. So I, I would be a little bit careful there. I'm all for uh, Leon Brown being on the bench and getting a half hour towards the end. 
Um, but I, I would proceed with a degree of caution there. And, and as Simon said about the scrum half position, really, it's in the hands of the medics. If Kieran Hardy is fit, then I think he deserves another opportunity. Um, but it didn't look especially good, as say, you know, it, it did appear as if he was taken out by a sniper uh, in the stand. Didn't look well at all. So um, that being the case, well, you know, you've got a choice, really. You, you either go with Gareth Davis or, if he's fit, Thomas Williams. Yeah. Um, obviously, it's a rest weekend now, so um, we'll see. wait and see what players are released to the regions, the Ospreys, Scarlets, Dragons and Cardiff. Notice I said Cardiff there and not Cardiff Blues. Why is that, Simon? Well, I mean, it's, it's something that's been um, brewing for a while. Um, I've, I've referred to it quite a bit, talked about it quite a bit. There's been a lot of things going on behind the scenes. And as of today, it's official. Um, from next season, Cardiff Blues will be rebranded as Cardiff Rugby. Um, the Cardiff club side, Cardiff RSC, will, will act as the rags. Cardiff Rugby will return to their traditional blue and black colours. There'll be a new logo. Um, obviously, people will have different opinions on it. Mine is pretty straightforward. It's an independent business. It's entitled to call itself whatever it wants. From marathon to Snickers, Mark will know what I'm talking about there. You know, you can. it's a branding issue. They've decided to make that change. They've based that on consistent feedback from their supporters. They're paying customers what they want. And they've based it on consultation with their stakeholders. They've just made a business decision. And they are absolutely entitled to do that. Um, as they see fit. People are then entitled to have their views about it, but it's their call. Um, and they will continue to fulfill their player development pathway responsibility. But essentially now, perhaps we are starting to see the uh, bit by bit, that dreaded R word disappearing from Welsh rugby. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, right, on that bombshell, I'm going to have to dip off because I'm just about to go to a Blues press conference. So You can't be calling at the Blues can't be calling at the Blues press conference anymore, I think. Uh, <laughs> One last time. One last time. <laughs> Good lads. Cheers. It's a two-week wait now for Italy. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one in terms of building up to that one because – Naturally, it's a two-week wait to Italy, but it's a three-week wait to a potential Grand Slam game, and the temptation is to look ahead to that. Uh, there's not much point because we don't even know if France are going to be in the Six Nations by the time we get to that, do we? We we don't. And I mean, hopefully, their situation will will, will back up a little bit. And um, you know, you're, you're hearing things from from over there all the time about how. Uh, Fabian Galti uh, apparently went. Uh, he, he he went to watch his son, and um, you know they, they they supposedly had this biosecure bubble. But again, you know, so it, I I just hope it really is properly concluded. Um, it would be a shame otherwise, and it is going to be a little bit difficult with uh, just with the congestion in the fixture calendar. And I can understand why Gregor Townsend wants wants all his best players available. It's hardly Scotland's fault that uh, France were unable to sort of play the, the game at the weekend. So, yeah, I, I just hope it is able to sort of conclude to the satisfaction of everyone. Uh, and it would be uh, it would be a heck of a shame if, uh, if Wales and France are unbeaten on 
March 20th weekend, and then it, it would have been a sort of grand slam shootout uh, with, with echoes of Crikey. Where are we? 1976, JPR Williams taking out Gould Don in, in, and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, it would have been great TV. And maybe it will, will come about, but it, it is looking increasingly hard to see how, how that match can be fitted in beforehand. Absolutely. It's going to be an interesting few weeks to end this tournament, but I suppose all we can concern ourselves with now is that Wales have got the first three rounds out the, the way and have a triple crown under their belts, and I think that's that's enough for today. Um, Mark's been a pleasure speaking to you, as always. Um, and for all the latest Welsh rugby news and the reaction to the win over England, you can catch it all on Wales Online. Wales Online.